Alrighty, welcome to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tepetapai. I'm joined by Dr. Justin Quinn. Later in the episode, we will talk to our friend, Yossi Goslin of Hoops Hype and USA Today. We want to talk to him not just about the Boston Celtics and their salary situation, but the um, whispers that there's a hard cap perhaps in the future for the NBA, at least if you ask the owners, um, and all of the kind of minutia about finances and spending. Um, USC is the best in the business of breaking this all down. So in the second half of the program, um, he's going to join us to talk to us about that. Justin and I planned on talking, yes, about what was happening the week that was in the NBA, but also talking about the Celtics-Cavs game, talking about Grant Williams, um, talking about early reactions to the season. But it is Thursday night. It's 8-11 on the East Coast. And we are, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes removed from the announcement that Kyrie Irving has been suspended. I already told Justin that I needed to just like clear the air for two minutes, but I think perhaps we'll probably talk a little bit longer. We'll get to some Celtics news, hopefully. And then certainly in the second half, it will be uh, just numbers, nickels and dimes. No, none of the heavy stuff, I don't think. Justin, how are you? Uh, feeling a little bit better now that there is at least a semblance of accountability coming from the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, guys, we really don't want to talk about Kyrie Irving. Of all the people in the NBA that I would like to talk about less, it's Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I missed our most recent podcast episode that I recommend very much. Um, that where we had Dave Zirin on. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, Zyron! Zyron. Dave Zyron on to talk about, at the time, the most recent Kyrie and Udoka stuff. Um, it, it would be intellectually dishonest to not say something, given that this news is literally hot off the press. Um, so let me, I'm sure anyone who's listening knows exactly what happened, but the Brooklyn Nets uh, put out a press release saying they're, among other things, dismayed that Kyrie Irving had the opportunity to uh, say unequivocally that he did not have anti-Semitic beliefs and instead he was antagonistic. Um, it makes more sense for you, the listener, to later or to pause the action, find the video um, and read the press release yourself because um, the quotes from the video aren't nearly as jarring as the, the attitude. Um, the, the, the lack of contrition, I think, is really the, the main issue. Uh, there seems to be a subcurrent among some of his followers that uh, a lot of this has been for show and we have yet to see anything from him to suggest that it is not in terms of contrition. Sure. Yeah. Let me, I feel like I've been trying to be measured and teeing off the episode, but let me get into where, how I really feel about this. Um, I'm a history teacher by trade. So I'm qualified to tell Kyrie Irving that the documentary is, flat out incorrect and hateful. And in fact, uh, spreads the same ideology that led to a young man assassinating Martin Luther King Jr.'s mom, among other instances of violence. This is supremely dangerous stuff that Kyrie Irving is peddling. Let me jump in real quick and say that today, the New Jersey State Police issued a statewide alert of unnamed and wide-reaching threats against synagogues in the entire state of New Jersey. So maybe I'm connected, but. Sure. So I would hazard that we can say full-throatedly that anti-Semitism is a problem, has been a problem in world and American history. That much is very, very clear. But it's also 
very, very clear that the specific ideology that Kyrie Irving is promoting, and he has the fourth most Instagram followers of any NBA player by choosing to put it on his platform, that is a promotion. And to fight the semantics on that in a press conference is either ignorant, childish, or all of the above. Um, to put that on your platform is to spread an ideology that has been used to create violence, not just anti-Semitism writ large, but a very specific brand of anti-Semitism, and one that does a disservice to all sorts of people who have faced prejudice and violence, past and present. So what Kyrie Irving is doing is not just spreading dangerous stuff, but he's being arrogant about his ignorance. That's something I've said many times. He's so entitled to this suggestion that he is allowed to believe this crap. He has no responsibility to even acknowledge that it's wishy-washy at best. And it's not wishy-washy at best, Kyrie. It's flat out part of my French horseshit. It's plainly unbelievable that it took this long for Kyrie to be uh, suspended the way that he has. And Joe Sai, in hiring Ime Odoka, is showing that he does not care about his employees or his fans, or perhaps even his players, because that is not a safe work environment that he's creating over there in Brooklyn. Sure, Kyrie is now on the pine for five days until he issues a nice little apology or some crap like that. But what is happening in Brooklyn is an abhorrent uh, relinquishing of responsibility from not just Kyrie, but from the whole organization. And with a little wind in my sails, I'd also say that between the Spurs and yes, the Boston Celtics in some part, the accountability that teams have to their fans is unclear to me. We could spend an hour talking about that. The accountability that these organizations have to their employees is very clear and legally mandated among many other things. And NBA teams are coming up short. It's really, really disappointing. I will push back on the Celtics just a tiny bit because as we have learned a bit more about the legal situation uh, through rumbles and whispers and observations from people who are more qualified than I am to speak on these things, uh, it sounds like the Celtics did the best job that they could to deal sure. with the Udoka situation once it became a problem that is above and beyond the scope of Let's be honest, something that happens very often in NBA uh, locker rooms, offices, et cetera. Uh, once it crossed the line, I think they acted and now they're trying to put themselves in a situation where they will not be liable. Uh, they will not be liable to be sued by their own employees who dealt with the situation and kind of a similar situation we're seeing with the Josh Primo situation. For those of you who are not aware of what we're talking about with the Spurs, uh, Nine times, supposedly, allegedly, he, he was accused of exposing himself to his therapist, uh, who is a woman. Not that that really matters. Uh, that is a team contracted either employee or partner, so that matters. Yeah, and, and well, what I'm saying is it really shouldn't matter what the gender of the person is. Sure, of course. Uh, that, that is abhorrent behavior, if uh, actually true. There had been a bit of a pushback from his lawyer. This isn't the Spurs podcast, so we won't talk about it at length, but at the very least, uh, between that, the news about Miles Bridges, uh, basically doing no jail time uh, and the plea bargain that he made uh, from the Charlotte Hornets in the domestic violence case that we you know, really sparked off. All of the fun stuff we've been dealing with, it has been quite an insane, pardon my you know, use of that term, I probably shouldn't, I take that back, I apologize. Uh, let's say very bad week of uh, NBA accountability uh, Optics, I guess we can say. Yeah, and it's, you're, I think you're right, the nuance with the Celtics is there. I think 
that's been litigated enough. I, we don't need to rehash it. It looked bad um, when it came out. Yeah. But I mean, from what we've learned, that they, they did the best they could. I guess I disagree insofar as my understanding of the reporting, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that they were aware that a relationship or perhaps relationships were happening. And it was only when the concept of harassment was floated that they stepped in. And you're that, right. That- I think has been admitted. And, and again, I don't necessarily think that that's right, but it's also something that is basically, as far as I am aware from what I have heard, I have only you know spent any significant amount of time around the Celtics. Uh, that it is fairly common for people to date at work. Uh, a lot of sure. things have policies against it. Those policies are often ignored with minimal or no discipline. Uh, but sure, yeah. yeah, it's a whatever. Let's bring it back to Kyrie and put this ugliness to bed. Um, yeah, if you as a listener are feeling morally comp- complicated, conflicted. Uh, you know, conscripted to be a participant in this crap that you don't stand for, or you're just tired and want to talk about basketball. We also feel that way. Um, so again, the Kyrie suspension happened, I don't know, 18 minutes ago. So we had to recognize it in some capacity. Um, and I'm sure I said to Justin before this later tonight, I hope to push out as a history teacher, a little bit of um, helpful resources, but there's been such great writing and really thoughtful um, truth-telling from NBA people and beyond about this situation. So rather than plug my own stuff, just really, I, I hope you're finding things that are helpful as a basketball fan. And maybe this is one of them. Maybe this is one of them. I doubt it. <laughs> no, Anyways. I mean, yeah. This stuff isn't going to go away. Uh, we apologize for having to cover this sort of stuff, but I mean, we would be ethically unmoored if we didn't at least touch on it. When, it, when these things happen. So uh, let's uh, turn the page as best we can until we can't again. Sure. Basketball is an entertainment product. So we can talk about it from that lens uh, as much as it intersects with culture. A lot more than maybe Kyrie Irving wishes it does, evidently. Um, in the interest of basketball news, the last time the Celtics played a game, they once again went to overtime with the Cleveland Cavaliers and once again came up short this time, a little less short, but short nonetheless. Um, Justin, I was at the Cavs game that they lost in overtime a week ago or so. And I felt like they really choked like dogs in that one. My sense of this one is that two really good teams played a good basketball game and the Celtics just were the team that happened to lose anything yeah. I missed in that assessment? No, I mean, there's things to criticize. Uh, the most obvious and at this point, probably overwrought concern is Joe Mazzulla's use of timeouts. He does need to use <laughs> them for a lot of good reasons, not just breaking momentum, getting players rests, helping devise strategies at a moment of reflection. There's, there's all kinds of reasons you can call a timeout. Uh, but really the biggest reason that they lost uh, in this uh, was just misunderstandings and people not being used to being where they need to be, people not being crisp for shorter periods. Like there were lots of people talking about how they held the three-point shooting of the Cavs being the hottest three-point shooting team in the league. Uh, But there was one quarter uh, where they blew, they went on a 12, I think a 12 point run. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. It's early. It's not so tough to, to swallow that kind of loss. Um, given what happened last season, um, that if well into January we were wringing our hands and then suddenly, you know, the Celtics were in the finals, um, it's quite all right that, you know, Boston 
blew this game again. It's not great. I mean, it could be a, a standings issue down the line, but um, this Cavs team's not messing around. It, it, it's also worth really honing in on the fact that this Cavs team is good. Um, and maybe the Celtics should be better, but <clears throat> you know, sometimes you lose to good teams, certainly uh, early in the season when you have a new head coach and I mean, Malcolm Brogdon's going to end the season, the third leading score on the team, right? They're trying to integrate that piece in on top of Derek White so dunks. That touches on something else that I think is, you know, there's some other like rotation stuff. Like we could probably see a bit more Derek White. We could probably see a bit more Malcolm Brogdon and maybe a little bit less Malcolm, Marcus Smart, at least when he is kind of playing a little bit out of control. Maybe Missoula doesn't necessarily feel ready to sit him in those moments i know he likes to let guys play through it but like letting marcus smart play through those moments we we know how that goes so there are some situations where he's gonna have to get more used to being the authority who decides who plays when and not in like this big heavy-handed sort of a way but we you have to do something about those nights one way or another something yeah i mean it's hard smart felt a little uh, all over the place in the fourth quarter and overtime. But he also, I think he scored five of the last seven points for the team or something like that. He, he scored in overtime. I mean, it, it's, I, I get it, but it's also a little bit on Jalen and Jason to not let that happen. Um, maybe smart, you know, forces the issue here and there, but also, you know, the two top guys, the highest paid guys, the guys who are supposed to take over the game late don't. Um, is that play calling? Perhaps. Is that Marcus Smart um, being a little headstrong? Perhaps. I think it's I, just they need to get used to each other again. They have new elements. They have a new coach. Yeah. They have a new style of play. Uh, I'm not very worried, to be honest. It was, as you said, a good team, better than I think they really expected, uh, you know, showing them up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Last week, they got pants. The Celtics got pants. And <laughs> pardon me, maybe a little spanked. Um, this most recent game, it was a good effort. I mean, Jalen got a good, good look, a reasonably good look at the end with some weird man, the NBA needs to figure out how they legislate timeouts and reviews because I think in person it feels quick, but on television it takes forever and it's a television product at the end of the day. Okay, let's pause the action, talk about our friends over at betonline.ag, and then we have a little bit of grant chatter that will segue into our conversation with Yasi Goslin. Basketball's back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at betonline.ag. As your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores, as well as giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events. You can bet the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive that reward. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, so Grant is heading into summer 2023 as a restricted free agent, which I'm sure listeners are aware of how that works. Um, uh, according to reporting from heavy.com, he wants a 15 to $16 million uh, yearly salary, which may or may not be something the Celtics are willing to pay. But according to heavy.com, Detroit, Orlando, and San Antonio may look to pay him 17 to $18 million a year just to make things a little more complicated for Boston. I will say that Grant Williams is 
showing stuff that I've never seen him show. I mean, he's putting the ball. I mean, it's, it's funny. His shooting at the rim is less than it has been, but I feel like when he takes it to the rim, he looks like a point guard. I mean, he's putting the ball on the floor. Like it's a little clunky, but it's effective. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, it is a little clunky. He either looks like the world's biggest point guard or the world's smallest center, depending on the play. Um, he also looks like the world's most effective corner three shooter, um, which is not bad. Is that worth $18 million? If he can keep playing about the level that he has been without the defensive element that he brings to Boston, I don't see any reason why that would be on the high end of what would be reasonable for him. If he kind of reverts to some of the, the bad play that we've seen at times last season, then maybe, you know, you might feel a little bit less comfortable about that. But he has grown as a player every season. The cap is going up considerably. There's a new TV deal on the horizon. You put all those things together. You have the right first refusal. To me, this is a big nothing burger. The biggest story here is competing teams are going to be jerks and make your cap bigger. Yeah. Crazy, yeah, I- right? I mean, next season, there's more cap space to go around. So guys are going to get paydays. The, the TV contract and the jump in this, the salary cap that's expected to come is still a few years out. Um, but Al Horford's salary is going to be different. Um, so the, the, you know, the calculus, or I guess the calculus, the payroll calculus is going to look different for Boston. And it's November, so we're not going to spend too much time on this. But like, who knows who's on the roster after the trade deadline and who they're obligated to pay. Um, probably Boston will be a taxpaying team and probably signing Grant Williams to that contract will confirm that for next season too. Um, So realistically for the owners, Grant becomes a $40 million bill or something like that. But uh, again, they're in the height of the the upswing of their contention period. If they aren't a taxpaying team, what are they doing? Yeah. Get out of business. Seriously. I mean, also, and uh, Yossi can maybe talk to us about this a little more. You're in the business of the NBA to, to make some scratch. The NBA, according to Forbes' most recent reporting, is actually making money year over year, except for, if you can believe it, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, but really, you're in it to flip the asset. And so uh, the back of the napkin inflation math is that this ownership group paid $500 million in the early 2000s for this team. And they're going to be able to sell it for, they could sell it for $4 billion tomorrow. Or if they wait for the new TV deal, I don't know, $6 billion, $7 billion. The cheapest valuations I've been seeing are, are roughly to the order of six times what they paid for it in the, the course of a 20-year investment. So, I mean, as far as investments go, you really can't seem to do much better than an NBA team if you can afford it. Yeah. And, you know, rich people operate a different clip. It's not like rich Gotham needs to be liquid a hundred million dollars liquid to pay the tax bill bank of america will float that and it'll pay him back 10 years down the line um that's how elon musk and saudi arabia bought twitter i mean it's not their the cash they got from their piggy bank anyways let's pause the action um and on the other side of this the magic of editing break uh we will talk to yasi goslin of hoops hype about all this fun capology stuff so see you in a sec all right, let's resume the action. Yossi Goslin of USA Today and Hoops Hype, our favorite capologist, is here. We're just going to talk about nickels and dimes in the NBA. Nice, boring. We don't have to talk about like racial prejudice or 
truth or anything like that. We just talk numbers. Have fun as that. Yossi, how are you? Have you guys talked about Joe Mazzula at all? Like your just thoughts on him so far? Uh, not explicitly this episode, but yeah, here and there. Why? I, I think, think I, I trashed his ability to call timeouts, but I mean, who isn't lately? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, obviously it's, we can't really make any judgments on him, but I just, I was, I was just saying in our group chat last night, I just like enjoy seeing him. I like his body language. I like his eye contact. Very probably the most direct eye contact he has when interacting with anybody and the way he chews gum, just like, mm, I don't, I, I just enjoy, I just enjoy him. He's a, he's a delight. Um, he's also apparently the pride and joy of Rhode Island. Cause if you meet any Rhode Islanders, they had, they're like, Oh, John Missoula. Yeah. 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 I mean, he wasn't that Brett Brown for a while. I, I thought Brett Brown was from Maine. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I think he, I think he is from Rhode Island if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm funny. I mean, either way, I have met a hilarious number of Rhode Islanders who are huge Joe Missoula fans. Um, and hopefully, yeah, right. Brown's from Maine. Guys, I'm the president of New England. Do you think I don't know this stuff? Um, okay, so anyways, we are going to talk about the cap, where it's at, I guess now, more accurately, where it's at next summer and what might happen down the line. And um, before the break, we were talking about Grant, Grant Williams, and his um, perhaps playing footsies with teams like the Orlando Magic next summer. Uh, Yossi, do you think the Celtics should be worried about Grant Williams' restricted free agency? Um, not so, not really. I mean, if they're worried about them, him getting a, a very big offer, like maybe that's possible. I'm very curious to learn what may have been offered because, uh, you, know, you know, I think Michael Scotto was reporting – he was hoping to get something in like the 12, 13 million range. And I thought like, I'm, I'm very high on Grant Williams. I like his, I think his versatility is a, is efficiency from three. Uh, uh, I just, I think he's definitely worth that. If not more, like I, if I would have probably been happy giving him even like more than that range. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's me though. I guess clear the Celtics. I, I'm right there with you. I was pegging him for as much as 14 or 15. There are probably, uh, shall we say, representation-influenced uh, quotes floating around that he could get as much as 17 or 18 million uh, in, in free agency. That seems a little high for me, but even that, like as I was saying earlier, doesn't seem beyond the pale. Yeah, and in a, in a assuming a big cap spike happens, and you know that's actually. That, Assuming it's like one of those crazy cap spikes, and yeah, then that that obviously looks pretty good a couple of years from now. And I remember I was listening to Dunked On, and they were doing mock extensions, and they had Grant Williams making eighteen million at the end of it, which I was, I was definitely surprised. But at the same time, like gun to my head, like if I was, I, I wouldn't have a problem giving that to him at like the higher ends. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I like Grant Williams a lot. Um, now, at the same time, can he get an offer that high? I'm kind of skeptical just based on how, if you look at what uh, uh, some of the other power forwards have gotten, like Larry Nance, mm-hmm. uh, Brandon Clark's kind of a center, but generally in that kind of same profile. Uh, I mean, different players, but as far as like a young big man, uh, Maxi Kleba, um, they all got like 12, 11 million per. So uh, I don't, you know, Grant's going to have to have a really strong year. Like maybe he'll have to like even begin starting and really boost his volume up. Um, 
to go along with the good efficiency he had last year. Uh, but just because of the trend, like I don't next year's market's not going to be, it's probably going to be like more or less the same as far as the amount of teams have cap space. And, you know, just even though it'll go up like another 10 mil, um, I don't think he's going to get something too high that the Celtics should be worried about. I'm thinking about 17. I don't think, uh, I think maybe one team will place a bet in that general range and the Celtics will be like, yeah, we'll match that. And that's going to be the end of it. Yeah, yeah. I think he'll get something like 13, 14. I mean, if he continues to be one of the most effective three point shooters, then it's like the Joe Harris trick, right? I mean, $18 million for a knockdown three point shooter in today's NBA is, is almost market rate. I mean, maybe a little a bit of an overpay, but Grant Williams can also defend with the best of them. Like I'd be comfortable paying that. It's, it would be weird for a team like the Spurs or the Magic to pay that because Grant Williams is an effective like seventh best player on your team or sixth best player on your team. I don't know if he's an effective like so they third have so best. many big men on, on Orlando. It's just like, where, where, yeah. they'd have to do some, some serious restructuring to make that. He'll just be their shooting guard there. Oh, I have a question. If the Celtics – so say it goes south. Also, I hope listeners can hear my cat because that means my mic is pretty good. I have an angry cat behind me. Um, anyways – if, I was looking around to see if it was mine, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bubbles wants everyone to know that he loves Grant Williams, too. Um, if, you know, things go south with the Celtics, do both teams get hard capped in a sign trade? No, just the team just the receiving. receiving the free agent gets hard capped. Yeah. Okay. Because, I, I mean, I can't imagine one of those teams would do that for Grant Williams, but maybe. Um I'll go to Justin first. Do you think there's any chance that Grant gets traded before any of this is an issue? I think there's a very good chance. He's on a very cheap deal. He can be signed for what the team he goes to wants to sign him for uh, because he's going to be a restricted free agent. They can take the gamble that the Celtics are willing to take. And if the Celtics are willing to take it, given what they have on the table for stakes, uh, it's pretty reasonable to assume that any team that trades for him has at least vaguely similar, you know, a deep playoff run at minimum in mind. So yeah, I don't see any reason why that would be like all that crazy. The question is, who's going to be coming back? Yeah. I feel like they'd have to be getting like two rotational big men back because they're already so short. Even when Robert Williams come back, it's just a matter of time before something else happens. Uh, like it, I they just I feel like they're even if they are afraid they're going to lose him in free agency uh i think they're just they're more likely to write it out with him just because they need they need big man he's their second best big man right now if there was something like i see jacob jacob excuse me Pertle's name uh floated around as a potential celtics target and by himself i think that that might be something there uh, he's also going to need to be paid. And if you're just swapping one guy for another and you need to pay that guy instead of this guy, and he's kind of a better fit for what you need, then yeah. But then they're kind of, you know, on the upper end of the winning spectrum, they're not very strong if they lose him. So they would probably going to want to have someone else come back with him in a deal like that. And I don't know San Antonio's roster well enough to really say if there's a deal there. So I can't wait for the Celtics to trade for DeAndre Ayton. Um, what a on that one. Uh, Yossi. Let's talk about Gallo, Danilo Gallinari. Uh, I was very surprised. Um, so the other day I was at the game and his name was on the Jumbotron and I made a big joke about like, oh, they have that wrong. And it's, obviously Gallo didn't play, but he was there. I ran into him in the back halls after. And um, I don't think we're going to see him anytime soon. 
but the team, Justin, the team hasn't applied for a uh, disabled player exception or what? I have not heard anything about that, but I would be surprised if they felt that they needed it. Like if someone else, like, like God forbid, Al Horford turns an ankle badly or something like that, then maybe we might see them apply for it. They don't have, as far as I know, they, they can apply for, for the entire season, right? Sure. Okay. So I, and I think I heard that they did apply for it. They did. I, I want to say they, I heard they applied for it, but at the same time, they've already got all these other trade exceptions. So it's like, it'll probably go on you. Fair. Well, so that was, I mean, how professional are we just guessing with the best of them? Uh, you see, that was my next question was what legally can the Celtics do with Gallo's contract before we talk about what they ought to do? Like what are the legal cap options there? Well, he becomes trade eligible in December 15th. So I would think that at some point they'll look to move him, whether that is for a, another rotational player or just to unload him. I think that that, that will very much be in play uh, or in the in discussions. Um, yeah, so uh, there's not much else they could do. Uh, they can... If nothing happens, they could maybe stretch him next offseason, you know, once he opts in, you know, divide that seven million to three. Um, those are really the two options. Yeah. So he's making six and a half, roughly a little more million dollars this year. So even though he's injured, there's not any particular hoops to jump through in terms of like legally putting a trade together. No. Um it's just a matter of it just just trading him. Um they could put it and they can combine them with other salaries. I just figured that's, that's what it's going to amount to now that he can't play this year, most likely. And at the Even same time, like, what, what's, huh? Even if he does come back, he's coming off of an ACL. He's in his mid thirties and he wasn't expected to be that effective in the playoffs in the first place. So exactly. Like what's, what kind of guy is he going to be when he comes back? That's the other big question. So I don't, and I don't think any contender would want to, find out they'll just you know just see what they can do whether it's this season next season i feel like next off seasons like more likely they can do something without giving up too much sure all right um just a few more celtics things and then we'll talk about like the, the big big picture um al horford is uh, technically on an expiring contract um justin just like give us a 30 second review on like how al horford has been playing because i know that you don't think he's been uh enabled to play his best well, there's a couple different things going on. He's playing a lot of minutes, which doesn't necessarily bode well for the end of the season when we he's the most important to the team. Uh, he's been playing okay for like what he's been doing uh, in terms of what he's been producing, how he's been playing. The, the defense, the drop coverage has been a little bit weird. Uh, there's some good stuff that we've talked about, but maybe that's an opportunity to keep him from running out to the perimeter every other play and having some legs left into the season. But then if you're doing that, then why are you playing him 40 minutes last night? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some, there's some stuff that needs to get worked on. I don't know when it's going to get worked on probably as we were kind of like hinting around not till December 15th, which is kind of a long way away still. Uh, but I do, I do want to say that there is an expectation that he might be amenable to a more team friendly deal. Uh, if he does resign, and that is, you know, certainly possible, but we've been down this road before with this particular player, and yeah. I love Al. I want him to stay, but if someone is going to, you know, offer him twenty million dollars next season, I don't think he's coming back. So hopefully that doesn't happen. 
I was actually thinking about what him and like Kevin Love, what are their next contract going to be? And I just, yeah, I, I thought about 20 million. I don't, I just don't see it. I feel like at most for Horford, like let's say he wants to lock in an extension now. I feel like it might be something like maybe what Boyan Bogdanovich did, where it's just like mm-hmm. 20 mil next year and then non-guaranteed the following or maybe 15 flat with some partial guarantees, but maybe even, I feel like Boston is probably going to maybe want to get, take a little less than that. Um, the, I've heard some very low numbers that I don't think are realistic. Like people talking like $10 million a, a season for like three years or something like that. And that is $30 million. But I think that if it was going to be that long, then there would be like, as you were suggesting about the year after in the Bogdanovich situation, some unguaranteed money on that as well. Yeah, and you saw Stephen Adams. He just got like twelve and a half per year. Um, yeah, my feeling is they probably hope to if if they probably want to lock him now somewhere in like the twelve to fifteen range. Uh, don't maybe he could get some more a little more than that, uh, especially if they have another deep playoff run. But yeah, I, I think that one. I think there's a good chance that one gets played out. He probably goes to free agency. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that this version of the Celtics front office is willing to pay for legacy or to be sentimental. I mean, I know that the Isaiah Thomas was uh, situation was under a different regime technically, but I don't see Brad Stevens um, waxing poetic about players who perhaps are on their way out. Um, so we'll see. That'd be really fascinating. Uh, I hope that Al earns a nice fat, another contract, but it's November. Anyways, Yossi. You recently wrote about the possibility of a hard cap in the NBA, um, kind of concurrent with reporting that the NBA is considering an upper spending limit on salaries, although that's been met with, quote unquote, firm resistance from the NBPA. Can you talk us through what uh, a hard cap would look like or an upper spending limit on salary would look like and why there's precedent in sports for something like that? So, well, the thing is, we we got very little details as far as what kind of system the salary cap would be once they have a hard cap because are they going to keep the same system where it's like you have to you can only have cap space when you have uh when you're well below the cap or can it be like the nfl where it's just like a free cap league just pure cap space whatever i don't know what they technically call it uh my my fig I, i would assume that it would be the same system and under that, then, okay, then what is the upper limit? Is it going to be what it is now where it's like about seven, eight million over the luxury tax limit, which isn't that much. Um, you're like, if you, in, in the, so that's the thing. We don't know exactly where the limit is, but the main thing that uh, it just, this is something that just tar- being it just seems like they're targeting the Clippers, the Warriors, <laughs> uh, the Nets, all these teams that are spending over a hundred million. And like, I don't know, let's just look at the Warriors for example. Uh, like, cause they are technically about 33 and a half mil over this year's uh, hard cap. The, uh, the one that you have to do certain things to actually be subjected to it. Mm-hmm. So you're so that's basically saying, uh, like like Andrew Wiggins for example, he he basically makes that. That's a, that's basically the league saying, hey, like you know, we we don't think you should be able to have all this 
high-end talent uh we want to make this rule so you have to cut one of these guys and now they have to go to another team i don't know that's all that's all i see it as um and ultimately i just don't that's that's all i see it really like doing whatever uh whatever playing field it's gonna level that's it's just gonna take teams like the warriors down a notch that's all that's all i see it really accomplishing so i actually was talking with you about something that would be maybe be a little bit more parsimonious that, that would accomplish the same thing uh and you made a really good point in our conversation about you know the whenever you do something like this to the salary cap to the rules of the nba there's always unintended consequences and i got, i came up with the idea of every four or five years like just triggering the same hard cap that already exists and then you just have to get under it Right. So that means that every dynasty I'm spending all the money that I'm printing Golden State Warriors type of franchise, what they would have to do is trade away one of those players to get under that thing for, for that one season. Then, you know, they can start if they want to start going back to the luxury tax. Great. That's on them. Right. But yeah. explain to me what that would do. Uh, just like aside from teams like the Warriors, like what else would it would affect? Uh, so I guess the main two things is it would trickle down eventually to these small market teams that it's trying to protect. And I use the Nuggets as an example. They're a team that, you know, medium market-ish so, and they've never really wanted to spend. And this is like their first time in like a decade. They're finally in the luxury tax and it's just going to get even, they're not paying that much this year, but next year it's going to get crazier and then it's going to get even higher when Jokic starts earning his super max, you still got Porter and Murray making their maxes, Aaron Gordon, Contavious Caldwell Pope, they make a good amount of money. Uh, so it's going to add up. And that, so that's a team that like typically wouldn't spend in the luxury tax. It's probably going to be end like three years from now, if they're in the repeated, they'll end up spending hundred million or so good chance. And now if there's a hard cap, you're basically telling them, listen, we don't care that you're willing to spend to keep this team. Now you're going to have to ba- give up Porter or Murray. And it, so this would just, dist- I guess it would just distribute the stars, star players a little more out um, and to force teams to decide, okay, which stars do we keep? Wh- which stars do we not? All these teams that draft well are going to be the ones to get punished. And then the other thing, and Bobby Marks really pointed out the most is if you have a hard cap, well, if you still, you're still, they're probably still going to have max contracts. The stars are still going to get paid. Uh, I think, I think right now in this current system, you see a lot of players getting squeezed for minimum contracts that honestly, I you could, you could probably think of 10 players that are making a minimum. You're like, they deserve a little more than that. And I think that's only going to intensify. Because if if you have teams that are star heavy, like the Warriors, the Nuggets, that have multiple three guys on max contracts, uh, now, yeah, they they can now uh, if they're going to be trying to fit a roster, uh, the Lakers, for example, they got three mm-hmm. guys on max contracts. They, in a way, it's almost like kind of seeing what the Lakers are doing, where you have all these stars and then just minimum contracts. Uh, so the the middle class could get squeezed to earning even less uh, than, and I already feel like a lot of there's a lot a lot of players that are like quote unquote middle class that are definitely 
underpaid under the current system. I mean, so that's the other thing. Just, you know, guys will get squeezed. Yeah, theoretically, most players in the NBA are underpaid just because of the, the artificial limits that the cap sets up. And this is why the, the NBAPA says that this is a non-starter uh, coming into negotiations. I don't expect it to derail possibly the biggest payday in the history of the NBA. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely going to make uh, things a little more contentious than I think we all thought they were going to be six months ago or even a few weeks ago. Yeah, but at the same time, I, Howard Beck did say that you know, the owners have always recently been trying to propose a hard cap or just kind of put on the table and it's just like, okay, yeah, that doesn't go anywhere. And that's the extent of that. So, but you know, the, the there's, we're still missing context as, as in is maybe are the owners just a little, are there more owners just more wanting to, a lot of owners are more like, are they more intense about wanting to do this now compared to other times? Or is this something that they're willing to offer in exchange for something else, whether it's the players asking for equity, which I doubt that's the case. I'm just thinking of, okay, what, what, like if the, what are the players asking for that the owners are wanting to ask for this? So, um, yeah, we don't, we don't know how, we just, we, we don't know how serious uh, this proposal is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I really like the angle that this is the owners preempting something the players are going to ask for because I actually think the hard cap doesn't solve. I think it's trying to solve a problem that doesn't really exist. Um, obviously, there are certain teams that spend just insane amounts of money, but it's not necessarily correlated to winning. So I'm looking right now. Last year, obviously, Golden State had the highest um, salary, um, the the payroll, player payroll. They were number one, but Boston was number twelve. And in the previous year, uh, let me pull it up. Milwaukee was like number. Uh, let's see, it's five and Phoenix was 13. And the year before that, Los Angeles, I think was 12th and Miami was sixth. And so, I don't know. I don't know that spending the highest sum of money is correlated with winning. Um, it certainly looks good, but just ask the Nets who, as we established earlier in this podcast, aren't even making money as a team, like with gate and merch sales or go ask the Clippers who, they're fun to watch, but they haven't won anything yet. So I, I like the read, the OC, that the, this is just the owners preempting a bartering chip because the hard cap doesn't seem, I don't know, baseball, I would say that they have some issues with spending. I don't know that I think that in basketball, I think that that's maybe more mythology than anything. Um, right. It's, yeah, it, and the, what I wrote is, you know, so Mark Stein was saying how, the luxury tax system was basically meant to curb spending and act as like a quote unquote hard cap. And I don't think when they made this particular system 10 years ago, no one was thinking, Oh, there's going to one day there's going to be teams, multiple teams spending a like one, to one luxury tax, the amount like the, like the warriors are only spending 14 million more on their payroll than their luxury tax. I don't think teams ever envisioned that uh, back then when they came up with this system, but um Look, if uh, if if it's supposed to, if teams have if if when the teams came up with this, when owners came up with this, agreed to the system, they were hoping to stop teams, like have teams hopefully decide to give away their stars. Uh, that definitely didn't work. <laughs> um, but as far as curbing spending down to something reasonable, um, 
I suppose the system might be outdated then when you got multiple teams, uh, maybe not comfortably, but reluctantly spending hundred million or so in extra money. Uh, so I do think that maybe if if it's a chip of some type of chip, maybe just like hey, let's let's t- let's maybe change the system a little bit, because I don't think like now their teams are making so much money that there's enough teams willing to spend this much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far but at the same time, I think it's working. Um, like you. You know, might not stop. I don't think teams should be making teams are never going to make decisions on like the highest ends of their rosters, but teams are definitely, uh, you know, not going too crazy with the spending. I think. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the system's fine. I don't really have any issues with it, but I do think it could be modified a little bit just to like, especially to uh, adapt to the salary cap changes that are going to come. Because there's going to be a lot of things we don't envision coming. Yeah. I mean, I think predicting anything in the NBA is a fool's errand. Just ask the Nets fans. Um, Or maybe you could have predicted all of that. I mean, the writing was on the wall. Anyways, uh, let's we'll pause there because, you know, this is a few years out. Um, But before we say goodbye, just from you're, you're still in L.A., right? Yes. Okay. So you have more of an unbiased view what do you think of the Celtics so far? I really like the Celtics. I was very worried about the, uh, not just, you know, going from Udoka to a Missoula, um, the, but also the injuries, uh, Robert Williams, uh, Gallinari. I, I've liked what I've seen so far. Yeah. I, see, I know their defense is, is down right now. It's not at all close to, the level they were playing last year, but offense is way up. And I, I, I imagine a part of that is just because, listen, like your best players right now are smaller. You have Brogdon now. You got to use him. So, yeah, you're going to get more points and less defense. So I, I'm not – I still think it's between Milwaukee and Boston to come out of the East. Mm-hmm. And assuming Boston's healthier, I – I feel like they're gonna. I think they'll they'll definitely clean up the defense, especially once they get the personnel back. Um. So, and then you just I guess the, I do feel though like if they're gonna be playing Brogdon as much as they are, then they probably they might never be number one defense again. Yeah. Um. But other than that, uh, I think there's they should still be top. I think they'll get back to top five level. I'm not too worried. Um. At the same time, though, I do wonder, and I don't know, I'll ask you guys, are you guys worried at all that assuming the Nets end up following through on hiring Yudoka, that that could cause some internal issues among the roster? It's like, well, like like what Marcus Smart had to say, well, he's not good enough to coach here, but he's good enough to coach there. Yeah, no, that definitely, that that says that the the front office has some more work to do uh, within the confines of what they are legally able to share. Uh, They're going to have to get creative with what they say. Uh, to yeah. convince them, but they clearly have some work to do on that front. Um, I think as long as things go well, whether Udoka remains, uh, you know, not hired by the, the Nets and uh, suspended by the Celtics, or if he does end up being hired by another team, which 
from all reports, sounds like they would be very, very happy if it actually does happen. Um, I don't think it's going to affect the team unless they do very poorly, like they are like similar to the last year's start. Then I think it could be an issue, but as long as that doesn't happen, I think they would be fine. Yeah, and even like I, I've watched the two games they lost to the Cavs, like there's nothing about those losses that had me uh, thinking that the Cavs would be more advantageous have an advantageous matchup in the playoffs like I still um nothing about like the Cavs are playing really well right now I think the Celtics you know I wonder if there's a little like they're trying very hard I think they played as well as they could and now there's nothing discouraging about some of their recent losses so uh yeah I I I just they're playing as well as uh I hope they could given the injuries. So I'm optimistic. Uh, at least I think they should be back in the conference finals. Cool. Take that. Yeah. I mean, even if they win one of those Cavs games, let alone both of them, which they could have, cause they made it to overtime. The narrative flips pretty considerably. Um, but that's, that's not fun. That's not how covering the NBA works. It's all doom and gloom in Boston. They need to tear it all down. Right. Okay. There's <laughs> Yossi Guslin. Uh, Thank you for making us sound smart because we don't know anything about how the cap works. Uh, and uh, we look forward to continuing to lean on you because maybe not you know today or tomorrow, but someday soon there's going to be some very interesting decisions about how compensation works in the NBA. And um, I'm sure you'll come back on the pod before then, but you're going to be our ace in the hole for continuing to sound smart when that, that time comes. It's a lot of work. Sorry about that. Send me the Yossi signal. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. It's a lot of fun. Love that. Yeah. Go find Yossi over at uh, Hoopstype and USA Today and you know where to find us. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe. Yada, yada, yada. We'll catch you later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.